Cheers. Crispy. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers, Cheers to you. Such a reach. It is. Welcome back, everybody. Dead Live Podcast. I am Ryan. That is Chris. We are back with Mike, our guest from our last episode. We did not get enough of his story, so we are back for round two. And yes, this we time, are. Uh, what are we drinking, Chris? Um, well, I'm going to let Mike talk us into this one. Yes. Because he brought this over special. <clears throat> he saw it um, on base and had to have it. And it's and it's a treat that we're all going to enjoy. I don't even know what we're getting into, Mike. Oh uh, yeah, it's a uh, Dogfish Head 120 minute IPA. It's uh, they release it I think twice a year, only twice a year. Oh, um, sweet. It's a uh, I've when we lived in Florida, uh, I only saw it once in the four years I was there because it was one of those you better be there on the day they right, put it on the gone. shelf. Yeah, yeah, I think they like limited you to two bottles. <laughs> really? Yeah, um, two bottles. Yeah, because it would sell out so fast. Wow. Um, and then uh, never saw it in South Dakota since they dogfish merged with Sam Adams. Base is getting dogfish now, and yeah, tur- walked around the corner and there's a whole shelf full of them. And I yeah. bought two four packs and said, "That one's clean." There we go. Where is dogfish out of? And They're what are your uh, they, what's your percentage on this one? I think you looked it up. It's it's a heavy one, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, heavy, uh, heavy beer. Yeah, Delaware. Out of um, Delaware. We're in Delaware. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it gives a range because they're a little Thanks, different sir. every time. Uh, it's uh, fifteen to twenty percent. Woo! Damn, that is that's hardcore. Thank you very much. So IBUs during your um, your brewing conversation yesterday, I I meant to ask and didn't think about it till afterwards. But <clears throat> tell me how uh, when you're brewing beer, you get a specific alcohol content. What step on the process oh. are you sorry are you doing? that and how is that determined um it's just how much sugar that's literally all it is you know it's not actual sugar well you can use sugar Mm -hmm. um it's just how much you know how much sugars are in the water you're mixing uh you mash the grain you're pulling the sugar for all intents and purposes you're pulling the sugars out of the grain okay um into the water uh and then boiling it down to intensify it as well to okay boil off some of the water so uh, it's it, just just the density of the the water how much sugar is in there so as simple as it sounds more sugar more yeah it's just more it's more food for the yeast to eat okay um and when they eat sugar they crap out alcohol science, science baby yeah because science. science it's amazing this is delicious it is like eating a meal mm. i can't imagine trying to down a six-pack of this mm. i think you'd be i'd be in trouble yeah. I get a little hit. Right, of, you die, right? I don't know if you die, but <laughs> I get a hit of caramel in there. I don't know. Oh yeah, it's very nice. But yeah, it's strong. With that much hops, oh. all the so the other thing is, you know, yeast have a certain tolerance of um, how much alcohol they can survive in. Because mm-hmm. once they crap out enough alcohol, kind of, you know, kind of like us as CO two, if we have too much. too much CO two, yep. We, so if the, once the uh, the alcohol gets high enough, the yeast start dying off. So to get to ale yeast. Getting to eighteen to twenty percent is not easy. No, that's the, probably the, the maximum range I would guess for for beer in a, this ale yeast. Yeah, it's that that's top probably higher than it's questionable how they're getting it there. I honestly like don't. If, like if you I've use never had a beer this strong. If you use like champagne or wine yeast, your champagne yeast, yeah, they'll get up there. Okay, but it's going to give you a very different flavor profile. Be a lot drier. And, so you think they're adding something? No, I just think they. Do, Are they just watching it really yeah, closely? Yeah, they're, they're just doing 
doing the work, keeping it agitated, and keeping oxygen, and you know, keeping adding oxygen. There's lots of different, there's a show on channels on. It's like a five part series that they had dogfish. They followed them around as they were figuring out new brews to do, and oh. really cool, really cool document type show. That's awesome. And they talked about I watch it. They had a 120 go bad where they had to dump it. Because they couldn't get it to finish off. Yeah. And they were talking through all the different tricks they were doing. We agitated it. We added more oxygen. Pitched even more yeast in. And it's just stalled. We can't get it going. Did you learn anything? Having known, you know, being a veteran brewmaster, yeah. did yeah. you learn anything? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's They're, cool. That is cool. Because nice. a lot of stuff they were doing was they were going to, like, they went to Egypt and they collected yeast and they looked at some of the higher, you know, because, um, you know, beer dates, dates back to ancient Egypt. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know that. <laughs> yeah, where where the brewer and, and the um, the baker was like the same person. It was the same oh. shop. It's all using yeast. You'd make bread and you'd make beer, and they would pay the um, the the slaves who built the pyramids were paid in uh, beer. That's not a bad. That's thing. why they got the pyramids done. And it's different. You know, the beer was a little Mystery different. Then. It was a lot. Yep. It was much lower alcohol, and it was just because they cause they boiled the water and. It was a way to purify the water, so it was yeah. healthy, not you know, didn't full die of bacteria. And all that. Right. There's a really awesome show on uh, on Amazon uh, Prime is where I was, I saw it, um, but it's called How Beer Saved the World. I think Re- I've heard of it. But really cool it. show, and they just go through his you know the history of beer all the way back to ancient Egypt and before. And yeah, you know they talk about in the plague people that you know the monks and other people that had no issues with the plague. The bacteria in the beer was helping their systems or something. No, because they boil the water to make the beer, mm-hmm. so the beer that's was, what they drink. The beer was safe. It, oh, it had instead been, of the water, wasn't tainted water. Gotcha. Instead of water out of the well that had, you know, whatever COVID or parasites in it. <laughs> oh, speaking of, they soon. wish they had COVID. Man, how have you been making it through this uh, this COVID uh, nonsense? Or, or well, it's been quarantine? good. It's been good. It, it hasn't been bad at all. Um, we're lucky that our kids are of an age. Uh, I have an 18, a 16, a 13, and a 12. Um, and we're blessed enough to have, you know, a device, well, or at least before they had the ones from school, enough devices that they could share their way through the, you know, spring when we got shut down in March. Yeah. yeah. That, was, um, that was brutal, the was first brutal. Uh, part of it. And then we had summer, and then we we were more prepared for it. But yeah. But, but even what was dropped first, on us is pretty rough. You know, they all were very quick to just, you know, figure it out and mm-hmm. move on. And it, it didn't it didn't bother them that much. And How about you as a family unit with more FaceTime, more time together? Has it really, guy, like, brought you guys together more or created more... I think uh, we conflict. I think we appreciate our time apart more now. Do you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it can go one of the two yeah. ways. So I mean. my wife definitely was working. She as a was considered an essential, you know, frontline worker. So they kept them open way longer. She was only shut down working from home for a few weeks, mm-hmm. um, three or four. Uh, That's not bad. She she was at work more, but I was at home mm-hmm. uh, with them for a few months. And there Dad was definitely the time where it was, she would come in and go, okay, you need to <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> go have some time for yourself. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I understand that 100%. Did you pick up any uh, more hobbies or start an old one that you missed for a long time? Did you get into anything during this period? Um, unfortunately, no. No? 
No. Kind I mean, status quo. Yeah. Yeah. Mostly just trying to, you know, we got creative with how to maintain the status quo. We went into, we didn't, we didn't like get into fist fights for, uh, uh, toilet paper or anything like that, but oh, man. You know, we definitely stocked up a little bit at the beginning. Yeah. Um, we had, as we all tried to. Well, yeah. so my wife, yeah, I'm I'm right there with her, but my wife especially has got an inner prepper in her. Yeah. And so the minute this thing like kind of kicked off, like before it was even stateside. Oh, you know, really? We started stocking up the basement storage. Just yep. Not not crazy like, but there's an extra. Extra bag of flour. Yeah. Extra yeah. extra 20-pound bag of rice. That's good. You know, and we had a few different things. So then, you know, a few weeks into the uh, um, the shutdown, it became evident that there's not going to be a food supply issue. Right. You know, this isn't that big of a deal from that perspective. Right. Um, I never thought toilet paper would go, though. I really didn't. I was mailing it to my brother in Seattle. Because you guys had enough? Oh, yeah, because we could get it. You'd have to wait in line. You'd only get one. Yeah. But I just made a special trip down to Sam's and got enough. Two different times. It. Got him one because he's like, dude, it's, I have to get up at like five in the morning to get to the store to get, toilet paper. To get in line. And then it's only a 50 50 shot if I'll get any. <laughs> yeah. Like, I gotcha. No big deal. I, I mean, we can get one. We've always bought in bulk regardless, right? So yeah. we, we've always bought a, a huge pack and then we had. I think we had just started one when really February hit and that's when, cause we do a lot of work in China at my, my current place of employment and we saw, you know, coming. So I just hopped on Amazon and got one of their massive boxes of like 80 rolls. And I was like, we'll just order one and throw it in the garage and we'll be fine. Be good to go. Yeah. Is it, is it sandpaper? No, thank goodness. I actually read the reviews cause I was worried about that. I was like, all right, we're just going to buy the cheapest yeah, don't shit ever. Toilet paper. And it, the reviews were all like, no, this isn't, like, the best, but it's not going to hurt you. Yeah. So, we were good. So we were, like, a week into lockdown. Really, the first, like, real full day of lockdown. And, uh, you know, we had a couple of big cases of toilet paper because we had just had one. Yeah. And I got one more right as the chaos started. Like, we're good. Yeah. We got toilet paper through July. What did we No problem. And then we, I, I don't know, same thing with paper towels. And we sat down to dinner the first night and realized we're out of napkins. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> There's not a damn napkin in this entire house. Oh yeah. And so then we discovered cloth napkins. Yep. And yeah, we actually washable, yeah. we actually felt kind of fancy using them. So oh, yeah. we kept go. using them. Hey, <laughs> I had cloth diapers growing up because we had no money. Oh, my, my parents gosh. didn't. So dude. Both me and my brother never had an actual diaper. It was always cloth. Let me tell you about. I'm sure cloth your family. Diapers, yeah. So I'm one of seven. Um, I have five younger siblings, the first of which is eight years younger than I am. And then there's, there was five kids born between 87 and 93. So they're firing them out and they did the cloth diaper service. And I would be, I was a big, you know, I had a big role, changed diapers and kind of babysitting a lot. And it was not a, it's not a a nice process. It's just, it's just a, it's pretty much a burpee, you know what I mean? That you throw over your shoulder fold it in a specific way and then put a safety pin in and then put this horrendous loud pair of plastic pants over the cloth (laughs) diaper. And then you throw it on the diaper pal and every Wednesday the diaper man would come around. That guy's job, bro. (laughs) It was this big windowless van where 
It was just this big mesh bag you take out of our diaper bin, sling it over his shoulder, and then wing that thing in the back of the van, which was all open air. So he's driving around with thousands of soiled, just cloth cloth diapers. diapers. No anything. Every day. Just, there's no, there's nothing. They're just piled up in his van. I, that had an effect watching that. I never want to do that job, ever. I, I, that, I had the same experience at the dump. Like, holy shit. First time I went to the dump as a kid, and the guys were picking out stuff they wanted to keep and putting it to the side. The guys that work there. Oh, yeah. I was like, yep, I'm going to I'm gonna go to college, and I'm, I'm not going to do so this. That's what we say to our, so the, the, the dump here, it's not really a dump. I mean, it's the dump. The one in Layton? Yeah. No, yeah, this but, was a different one, but yeah. Because, you know, it's just basically a parking lot that you jump your stuff in, and then a Mm-hmm. And then they push front off loader cliff. pushes off a cliff. Yep. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> when we first got to Rapid City, this is what you're saying is the exact thing we said to our kids. Yeah. Because when we got to Rapid City, it was no kidding. You would drive a different trail. You know, it was you'd get through the gate, and then it was a slightly different path every time because mm-hmm. they're bringing you to a different part of the mountain, <laughs> yeah. if you will, the yep. mountain of garbage where you were dumping today. Yeah. Um, and you just back up and dump it out, and you're in the middle of garbage. Yep. And all the people working there, we pointed out to the kids, hey, you see these people, guys? This is why you stay in college. Yep. Yeah. Stay in school. Stay in school. Get your degree. Because this is what Otherwise, you're doing. This could be your future. I mean, they're all sitting there going, oh! <laughs> yeah, it sucks. You know, if they're on a rainy day, that would be me getting out of the truck, climbing on the, uh, the my you know, my step. Oh, yeah. Didn't want to, don't want to step down into that. No. Nope. On the sidestep, get into the bed, push stuff out. Oh yeah, hot that's garbage. How, that's how Minnesota that's, that's was quite too. Quite an aroma. Anybody we who's would, worked in the restaurant business knows the smell. Oh yeah, hot garbage. We would uh, we would sled in Minnesota on Garbage Hill, which was literally an old dump. Yeah, I think they make ski hills. They in do Michigan out of trash heaps. They do. It's insane. Hey, use them. I guess the more you know. Stay in school, kids. <laughs> that's the lesson here today. I do have a question though. We got we have to circle back to the military just for a second. No, oh, yeah, because there's. Two questions I have. Again, I've asked Chris a bunch as well. And I think everyone that we've had that's had any kind of military service, I've asked certain questions. But I've always wondered, if you do ROTC mm-hmm. and you go and do your four years, do you have to go to officer school or are you already an officer if you finish ROTC? You are. When you, you are. When you finish. Okay. So that you'll do, uh, as far as ROTC goes, your first two years, uh, it's a class once a week. Um, and then every, we did them Friday mornings. I've heard other places that do them differently. Uh, every Friday mornings they have leadership lab, which is basically stupid military crap, you know, marching and drilling. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's PT yeah. type stuff. And then, uh, between your sophomore and junior year, you've got a field training, Okay. which if you've already done the first two years, it's a four week, or at least it used to be ancient history. Yeah. Who knows what I it is now? I have no idea what it yeah. is now. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some people that didn't do the first two years of ROTC and they do a six week field training Okay, in theory to make up for those time you missed. Um, and that's, you know, a version of OTS basic training type stuff. That was probably um, the most, um, anything like OCS. That yeah. You I mean, you, you have, they bring in drill sergeants from Lackland and, um, okay. They they'll have other cadets that are older that are help out with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, my junior year, I went back and was a trainer in the summer between my junior and senior year. Okay. Um, and yeah, I mean it's the full up, you know, full metal jacket. Yeah. Uh, hmm. And this is in between. This is in school years year. of college. Yeah, yeah, this is in school. 
And then your junior and senior, you have a class that's three days a week. It's a little bigger class, a little more involved stuff you're doing. Um, and you usually don't have to go to the Friday morning thing anymore. Okay. Unless you're like part of the leadership that's usually only like for one of the semesters, I think. <laughs> so when, okay, because my path is completely different being enlisted on the officer side through the ROTC program, when would you say you were commissioned? Is that the end of school? Before? Yeah, it it's, coincides with graduation. It coincides with Yeah. It. Okay. I didn't actually go through my graduation ceremony because it was University of Washington. And there's like 10,000 people yeah. in my graduating class. Yeah. You don't actually walk. They just say, you're done. Here's the electrical engineering department. And you Bye. all stand up and then you sit down. <laughs> so, I, Yay. That didn't appeal to me, yeah, yeah. weirdly enough. Um, <laughs> and you have to pay a bunch of money to get a gown and all that crap. Um, and uh, the, I did, you know, but we have our commissioning on like the same day, uh, which is obviously we, we had a pretty big detachment. Um, I want to say it was like 30 of us that were commissioned. And then from commission that day, do you have a immediate report no later than date to your first assignment? Yeah, you'll already have orders at that point. You do. Okay. Um, ROTC is a little different than the academy. Academy, when you're commissioned, you're immediately on active duty. Mm-hmm. And so you're either waiting there or they're sending you somewhere in ROTC, um, you're not on active, active duty until you report to your first assignment. Okay. Uh, I wasn't starting pilot training until March. You know, I graduated in the beginning of June. So uh, you had mid -June. Back, oh, yeah, a big time off. Well, you could have went nuts. They'll send you casual, casual status, which completely varies depending on where you go and mm -hmm. who takes over you. Um, they were supposed to send me, I was supposed to go to Travis Air Force Base for my casual status, um, but we had requested, and my detachment, ROTC detachment at University of Washington, had also requested, both. so both of us requested, and this is a full bird colonel that requested I stay there at University of Washington to be on casual status. What is casual status? To do what? Train? It, you never know. It's, oh. You are the lieutenant for hire. So if I had gone oh. to Travis, they ended up keeping me at University of Washington. If I had gone to, well, eventually they did. If I had gone to Travis, I would have showed up once a week and said, do you have anything... They would have said no, and I would have gone home, did whatever I want. And if I wanted to jump on a plane to wherever in the world, I could have. Wow. I say <laughs> UW, and they put no me idea. to work. And, you know, I did a lot of <sighs> the entrance. You know, I <laughs> kept the database up for all the new guys coming in. Thanks a lot, sure Colonel. Physicals and all that stuff done. <laughs> um, they, had, they had rules about you could only be on casual status at a school. Like, at a base, you could be on casual status as long as you wanted. Even though all the guys that went casual status on a ba at a base did nothing, that's a really could, strange. But if you scenario. were casual status at a university, mm -hmm. you could only do that for six months before pilot training. So mm -hmm. I couldn't go on active duty until October. So okay. I had June to October, and I got married in September. So I basically worked eighty hours a week, two, doing two jobs from the time I got commissioned until I went on active duty so, to, to pay huh. for a wedding and yeah. Your, your first day of active duty, like your pay date, was, was when? October? October 17th. October. Okay. 1997. So, but in the wow. Air Force wasn't paying you anything prior to October. Correct. Okay. Well, as a cadet, you get a, you get a, at the time it was like 50 bucks a month stipend. Mm -hmm. It's like three That's three fifty now. That's nice. Wow. It was the early 90s. That's a lot. You buy like. You could buy some beer supplies. Beer and, yeah. <laughs> Some other stuff. <laughs> Fifty bucks. That's not. That's like laughable. Like, why even bother? Well, that 
they understood that because it went from like 50 to 250 when they finally right. changed it. So that was kind of a recognition of, yeah, yeah, we probably should have done this a while ago. Yeah. <laughs> it's not 1965. Wow. 50 bucks. <laughs> That's all. Okay. Second question that I'm done with questions as far as military is concerned because I've always, always wondered this. So I actually worked on base for Enterprise Rent-A-Car um, way back in the day before I actually started my career. And I always went past the officer's club and I always obviously knew who can get into the officer's club. Mm-hmm. But my question is, when you retire – can you still just go back anytime and, and hop in the club? Oh, sure. They just, I wouldn't. Does it yeah, matter? Sure. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know the so rules. So clubs have changed greatly over have time. Have they? Um, for a lot of reasons. Okay. Most of the reasons are good, but what is gone from the clubs is too bad that it's gone. Okay. Um, I don't know if you guys are old enough to remember Tailhook. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, it it was, was the Navy. just happening um, as my career was beginning. So that, that was... So the the actually another way to say it would be the military went through a Me Too movement movement yeah in the early nineties yeah early in 90s. a big way yep mm-hmm. in, in a in a much larger way than the outside world did okay um, there were things that were going on that were should not have been going on. okay um, but in eradicating the things that shouldn't have been going on. It, an environment was created where everybody was watching over everybody's shoulder. Yeah. And so the, for the most part, stateside clubs turned into a, well, I don't want to go there because I'm being watched. Okay. So and they, if I say anything wrong, you know, I'm going to be called on the carpet for it. Uh, and it's too bad. It, yeah. You know, we, my wife and I grew up in the Air Force overseas. Mm-hmm. Clubs lasted a lot longer. Yeah. Because, you know, you didn't have necessarily anywhere to go. Yeah off base or if you did it was more expensive and uh everybody lived on base typically you know Masao and some of the over- overseas places so it was just convenient you know, like in Spain Dalm Germany it was great Spain Dalm Germany I could our squadron was walking distance to the O club yeah so, that's unhealthy uh, <laughs> depends <laughs> how you look at it that depends I guess yeah I was still <laughs> in my 20s for part of that yeah um when I had a metabolism uh that's interesting and you know you have Friday at the squadron, which Friday in a fighter squadron is start drinking at noon. Yeah. And by five o'clock, we would stumble our way down to the O club where our wives or girlfriends would be waiting for you and continue the party on. And then there was some, somebody to drive you home. Yep. There you um, go. Huh. Nice. And Masao was similar. Yeah. You know. I always wondered. I always drove past it. I always wondered. Yeah. Um, I got married in the officer's club, actually, next to one. So I got married at uh, the University of Utah. Okay. In the old um, Fort Douglas. Oh, okay. So got married in the chapel on Fort Douglas and then did the reception in the officer's club. Um, so I don't know. It was just always a question in the back of my mind. Very cool. Um, I did think about you today, though. As I was on my meetings, the jets flew by and I, I thought, <clears throat> four hours ago, all right, they were just starting their day at, and I felt better. And they also didn't hit their afterburners. There's a guy that A couple does of them it. did. Did they? Because I was about to text you, but I didn't want to bug you. <laughs> but he totally did, dude. I, was I, like, oh, I wasn't on the phone at the time, and I probably would have noticed more if I was on the phone. But I was just kind of like, I didn't have my windows open either because it was colder today. And I was just like, huh, a little yeah. quieter today. Yeah. Anyway. I have a couple questions. Um, so about the, the, the E-Club, the Enlisted Club and the Officers Club. My first assignment was at a fire base, um, Cannon. <laughs> Unfortunately, it was my first assignment. Wow. And they had uh, one building. It was co-located. The E Club and the O Club were, were there, and it was the only place to go. It was close to New Mexico. There was no. It's the most angry else. place I've ever been in my entire life. Oh my gosh! 
Well, for good reason. It's because it's a shithole. It's you can oh, just say it. It really is. Just I wrote in. It. They called the. I've heard it. The trail, trail of tears, highway. There's a highway it's, version too, but yeah, it's it's pretty it's not brutal. good. I was on. I had a great time. Trailer parks and meth. Um, we had okay. a, we had a great time, but you, you did imbibe quite frequently. And the co-located clubs, um, Friday and Saturday nights, both places were hopping. And you you shared this common bathroom, and you could always kind of poke your head into the O Club, and holy shit, there was some wild stuff going on in that room as opposed to the E Club. I can t- definitely really? attest. Yeah, there was no, there was not as much frivolity. I think inside <laughs> we wanted to, but the shit would just get shut down so much faster. It seemed like, but it seemed like, man, those guys have way more fun over there. And that's on every base. This was my and my not 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 the experience. experience Sorry, that I saw the co-located there, the colo the clubs there. There's always two. Pretty common. There is. Yeah, uh, I didn't know that. that I've, I've all the bases I've at least. I always been thought it was just Hofstra's so club. So I was say Kunsan, Misawa, Spingdalem. All three of those were co-located. I'm not sure I ever went to the club at Egon. <laughs> you didn't need to. Or at Ellsworth. Yeah, but you know, I had kids and you're older at the time. Older and our squadrons were older. We just didn't do that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, well, Ellsworth was, that was MQ-9s. That was the only non-F-16 I did. Okay. And that was a weird dynamic. You're in a completely different pot of people. Well, yeah. I went from, you know, a fighter squadron is typically 50-ish officers total, depending on the size mm-hmm. of the squadron, 40, mm-hmm. 40 to 50. Yeah. And maybe a dozen enlisted. Probably about a dozen enlisted between okay. live support and... Yeah. And... Uh, the enlisted that worked in a fighter squadron were used to us. Mm-hmm. Um, sure, they they were comfortable. It's family, yeah, yeah, they were comfortable around us. It was yeah. a, we were known. Um, it was a known thing to us. So it was you. It was a very different interaction when we would deal with the enlisted in our squadron versus and our maintenance guys too, mm-hmm. or even the tower guys because the softs we were up. Oh, you know, we, did we you sh- like doing soft duty? Or did you like, gosh, I hated damn soft it. duty. What's soft? Hated it. What soft duty, soft guys? Soft is um, <laughs> Super. supervisor of flying. It's a, a pilot would sit in the control tower with the controllers. I think as a liaison was the kind of the program it was designed to do. You could probably tell me better. So you're technically, in theory, by reg, you are the, you are the voice of the group commander of the OG, operations group commander. Thank you. While you're up there. So many um, acronyms. Oh, man. It is. Oh, I can go. I know you can. <laughs> but our listeners um, are going to be like, I don't know. And so when there's emergencies, you are the guy that can get on the radio and talk, you know, hey, what do you need? I'll read checklists to you. I'll help you out. Help a pilot out. Yeah. Got it. Um, you are coordinating with air traffic control and other agencies on base to make sure. Because a lot of times the pilot, especially in a single seat, they don't have the time or the ability to convey the plan, like okay. really fully in depth com- convey the plan. Mm-hmm. But as a fellow pilot, usually they only have to say one or two words, and I know what their plan is. Yeah, because hey, this is what you know. This is what's going on. This is where they're at. They're going to do one or two things. He said this or he does this. Okay, I know what he's doing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can convey the plan to everybody else without being the pilot in here having to. Yeah, talk that all out. Yeah, it was a conduit that would help. I think two ways. You're more the voice of, you said, like the OG, like you said, um, but they're really for a lot of safety concern yeah. most of the time. Well, and you'd get a young guy up there, and as the soft, you could, hey, you want to do this, right? 
because they're still the pilot in command. Yeah. Even if it's a brand new lieutenant, mm-hmm. they're this is on them. Yep. But as a soft, you could do the okay, dude. You want to you want to do this, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Cool. Good <laughs> <laughs> uh, coaching. It's ultimately up to them, but you could. Hey, come on. Yeah. Why sure. don't we? Why don't we go do this? Um, so no, there were, it was a like, no-win scenario. You, you said you didn't like it. Yeah, it was because you worked with Chris. At no point would you ever walk out like, "Hey, I did something great," and you didn't feel productive. Productive. No, it, the way it worked out is the only way you would highlight yourself is in, if something went bad. The, but like, that's why you're there. There, there was a couple times where you were there to things, like. I got to tell I got to tell air traffic control to sit down and give me the microphone once. See, this is this that is was good. In, this is good, guys. Work it out because I know there's <laughs> there's a beef no, no, no. here. No, no, no. We're this not talking Saudi about Arabia. it. This is at uh, PSAB. <laughs> was it a Saudi controller? Or yeah, the control? American just ste- like dropped the mic, put his hands up, and like, sat it's all back. Yours, and he's buddy. Like, it's all yeah. you. It's all you, Captain. Yeah. Because um, uh, first plane to land was an Eagle. It was a Fresno boat. She. She landed and blew, blew both main tires. Whole Southern Watch Go is on its way back. So we're talking, you know, 50 airplanes on the way back. So soft, I'm getting on the radio and I got all, I'm like, tankers, what do you got for gas? How long can you wait? You know, who can divert? Divert right now. Because mm-hmm. we ain't getting this thing out of here anytime soon. Mm-hmm. And so we're diverting people, diverting people. I got one taker with gas. I'm like, okay, hold on. Can you hold on? Because I don't, I need to know what. I don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got two Eagles and two tornado- Tornados that do not have enough gas to go anywhere, which they're supposed to. Yeah. So I'm like, you guys suck. You're but, supposed to have enough gas to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. There's not one runway. Shit happens. There's just one. One runway. And it's blocked. So now I'm like calling them out. We're, we're stringing the cable on the taxiway. And I turn around. I'm like, okay, we're going to land them on the taxiway. And all the tower guys are like, we're not authorized to let them do you that. Can't, uh, like. No but they're going to land on the taxiway. They're like, we know. We're not talking. We're, We're not, not going to talk to them. <laughs> like, well, who's? they're going to ask who's going to talk to them. They're like, that's you. Yep. <laughs> Do I tell them clear your land? You're not authorized to clear him to land. Yeah, you can't say that. Like, oh, yeah, I'll make some up. <laughs> you were spitballing that day. What dude. did you say? Just, just said, put your plane down? Yeah. Yeah. Like, here's the plan, guys. We had to get the tornadoes down first because they, were, they needed a drogue refueling. Mm-hmm. We didn't have a drogue. Also, what kind of plane is that? Uh, Tornado. It's a. Uh, these are Brits. Okay. Um, it's a kind of. It's a jet. Multi-role jet. Okay. Kind of fighter type thing. Okay. Single Older. engine, right? No, they're two little, small little engines. Okay. They're not impressive in any way, but yeah, they're European. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I didn't like being soft. Yeah. Okay. It's it's hard not to be um, in your area of expertise, right? Um, as you were mentioning yesterday, you like to fly and the less you would fly because you're, you know, moving up in responsibilities and that takes you away from the cockpit and that time in the seat and you're focused on other things. Um, so it's, it's nice to be where you're comfortable for sure. And you're asked to do those other duties. That- there were times it wasn't too bad. You know, I mean, most of the time, actual time up there wasn't bad. The, yeah. um, if you had a good op soup, it was always good. Yeah. It, it, was, it all depended mostly on your op soup, not on, um, the operations supervisor. Thank you. The, 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 it's usually an enlisted guy, but the guy in charge of the tower. Okay. If you had a good guy, guy or gal, doing that job that you could, that 
you had a good working relationship with it. All you that, really that had to better. do was communicate, and it's not you know a pissing match. That's when well, it, that, that's when progress is stopped, and it's just like all right, everybody's off in their own corners, and they're not communicating, and then there's there's no there's no benefit there yeah. at all. So it can you, get stupid. You, you'd run into a little bit. Like I had one op soup that one day, where I'm sitting there, and you know, all of us grew up in pilot training in in a pattern with that wasn't controlled. Mm-hmm. And so we lure, you know, just beaten into our nuggets of rules of, hey, when you're at, you know, when you're at this spot in the pattern, if there's somebody here, you don't do this. You wait for this radio call and then you do this. And it, it was all, there was all these rules that were set up for depending on where you're at in the pattern, where yeah. you heard other people, what you were supposed to do, mm-hmm. including like break out and like just re-enter the whole pattern because you're in a bad spot. Mm-hmm. And so we all know those rules. They literally were beaten into us. Yeah. And um, so you'd be in a pat- pattern. I know I had one op soup, and she was just, they, they had a trainee working the pattern. That's rough. And we're only talking like four. It was like, I was probably a total of six planes in the pattern. Mm-hmm. But she was just complete, completely task saturated. Sure. And we had two planes in a row break out on her, not do what she said. They're like, nope, breaking out. Because she was not handling the situation, no. and you wish the and trainer would come in and just yeah, take control and, they, and well, they, make things safe. They they kind of turned on me of why are they breaking out, and I'm pointing out why they're breaking out. But she told them to do this, I'm like, but it's their butt in the plane. Yeah, they don't think it's safe. They're seeing what is happening around them. Oh, by the way, they have everybody in the pattern on link sixteen. You know, so a, a data link, so they they know where everybody is in the pattern. Yeah. And with helmet-mounted sights and everything else, they literally can see everybody in the pattern. They know where everybody's at. Mm-hmm. And they're all on the same radio talking to each other. Talking shit they, the whole time. They, oh, yeah. <laughs> they, they just yeah. know. Yeah. That. Yeah. Absolutely. They I know if they, they do that, they're going to put themselves in danger. Yeah. So they're just like, no. Nah. So they're like, no, I'm out. Sorry. Yeah. And they'd get so mad and they'd turn on the soft and you're like, dude, I can tell you why they did it. But yeah. don't get mad at me. I didn't do it. Right. I would have done yeah. the same thing. But don't get mad at me. I didn't sure. I can say as uh, it was a, a big awakening, like a slap in the face, the, the fan flight I did get in two regards about how tough it is for the guy flying the aircraft and how much physically and, and mentally demanding that entire operation is. Yeah. Um, let alone the mission that they're carrying out. Yeah. Um, and then that was a big realization. And then the second was when we came back to land and I'm hearing all of my coworkers, every time they keyed up, I know exactly who it was because I work with them and I'm going, Holy shit, guys, we got to do a better job. Yeah. It was, and I was a kid, you know, but I, it was, it was uh, immediate. Holy shit. Okay. This is what it's like from this side of the the side of what they see. and what they So yeah, that's crazy. Are are all pilots officers? Uh, at this point, yes. Okay. There have Didn't been enlisted pilot program. Uh, I want to say World War II is the last time we did it. Okay. Um, they talked about doing it uh, recently in the RPA, the you know uh, unmanned aircraft for unmanning aircraft. Okay. Um, my feedback for that was if you think so much of the guys that you want to, guys and gals, want to make into pilots. Guys is... Guys is generic. Unisex, Sorry, dude. I got it. <laughs> um, He's trying to be politically people, correct. People. Let loose. People. If you think so much about them, yeah. if you, you, you know, you obviously feel that they're responsible enough to be a pilot, yeah. just commission them. 
why, 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 why would you not? So if there, eight, there, there's plenty of programs to take an enlisted person and commission them, why would you not just do that? So what's the difference between the program that you're talking about that doesn't really happen anymore? And I'm an 18 year old kid. I want to do the air force and I want to be a pilot and I just go straight to enlistment and I just tell the recruiter, Hey, I want to be a pilot. And they're like, sign here. Can he, can that person still accomplish that goal? Or is it a much different path just by enlisting to be a pilot? There really is no path. There is no path. Okay. But the recruiters will tell you there is one. The commercial tells you there's one. Never believe any, if it's an Air Force recruiter. It's any recruiter. Yeah. Do not believe a word they say. They don't have rules. They are trying to meet quotas. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They are used car salesmen. And if they were sitting right here, I would tell them that. They'd tell you the same shit. They're, oh, the army recruiters told me I was going to be a helicopter pilot. I'm like, that's well, awesome, no, guys. Army, now, that's is army different? different thing. Army's got different for They're a helicopter. They're not enlisted. Oh. You could be a, a warrant War, officer. Warrant officer. So maybe there are lie. programs for that. So, so I've I've heard many enlisted Air Force person that was told by the recruiter the best way to become a pilot is to enlist. <laughs> and there is no way to do it. So the only way no, to do you, it is... No, you can do it is you go through college while you're enlisted and then either get out and get commissioned do some there there's a number of ways to do it but you get commissioned hope you get a pilot slot on that got it but it's damn i had no idea yeah it's there is no real clean direct route the officer route is the is the way yeah okay 100 yep but yeah no they wanted to make enlisted pilots like so you're telling me it's going to work out just fine that we're going to have enlisted pilots sitting in a briefing next to some brand new lieutenant who's making twice as much money as them is an officer that they have to salute. Yep. And we think the same as them as far as flying goes. They pay him half as much. And that that's going to work out. There's no not going to be any problems with that. I mean, that sounds like America. I don't know. <laughs> not <laughs> not in the military though. No, I know, but why, I, you why know what I mean. Why would we do that? Yeah. Why why would you not just you you think enough of the these individuals yeah. that you are going to make them pilots that there's that much responsibility. Why would just make them officers? Yeah, just commission them. Just, no. uh, just this is new new ground that we're talking about right now because that entire universe is opening up and becoming so much more prevalent. Would you say? Yeah, I There's mean, so much more of that operation happening, meaning the oh, yeah. the remote pilot stuff. Oh yeah, and it's um, it will be more and more. That's what I mean. It's, um, it's kind of like the conversation's open to that. Because right they've already designed and have done initial flights on the next generation fighter that replaces the F-22 and the F-35. Really? And This no, is manned. That's the question. Ooh. No, no, no one's seen it. They've flown it. Are you TS in your current engineer slot? No. No? It's TS. Top secret clearance. Thank you. Yeah. Um, or transsexual. But even if I was, that wouldn't be covered for that because this would be a specific program that only, you know, we're involved in its development. Um, deal with it at this point. Right. Um, but they have they have acknowledged that this thing exists. That's a very interesting conversation. They have Can we put this podcast even on the line? I wouldn't say it if we couldn't. Yeah. Um, the, they haven't acknowledged whether, and I, I haven't heard if they've, because it's been very carefully orchestrated things that they've acknowledged it with. Mm-hmm. I haven't heard if they've acknowledged is it manned or not. Hmm. Perhaps and, they're you know, still you, working out whether they want it to be or not. It absolutely could. You so. know, the, you have stuff like the, the new, the B-21, the new bomber mm-hmm. that we're buying, um, can do both. 
the concept being that the the pilots, the two pilots, much like a B two, there's two pilots in it. They take it off, they mm-hmm. get it going, and then they go rack out and sleep. And they hit a button. While somebody at home base in a constr- control station gets them to where they're going yeah. while they're racked out. Hmm. They do the mission, rack back out. You got to trust yeah, that. Go fly home. Yeah, you do. And the, you know you they have that. There's um, you know Boeing's the main one making them. They're called a, um, a loyal wingman. I think it's what the program's called. Mm-hmm. But it's a basically a fighter sized um, unmanned system hmm. that from an F thirty five or they're talking about an F sixteen. We come close to thinking about actually incorporating that. But where from another fighter, they have these other unmanned fighters up there, and you can just. Cr- Grab hold of them on the link and say, hey, you. Do that. Take out that target. You take out that target. What? That's when robots murder us all. That's when the ATMs rise yep. up. Right? Ooh. T3. That's kind of cool. I mean, it's very cool. What's the main difference between um, an F-16 and an F-35? Are there many differences that you could name, or is there a main difference? Um, Yeah. Uh, F-35 is stealthier. Okay. Um, F-35 has... In some ways, a leap forward in technology. Okay. In some ways, a step back, but that's more on the development and how it was contracted. Okay. <laughs> um, <clears throat> the one of the things that made the news a lot was that an F sixteen beat an F thirty five in close combat, mm-hmm. and it will probably. Um, but with the sensors and weapons and capabilities in an F thirty five, if they're in that type of turning fight something's gone really wrong yeah um that's not what they're designed for okay what would you say interesting in this theater of war that we've experienced the last 20 years is more um important in training is it the air-to-air stuff that you're just discussing or is it more you know air-to-ground the air-to-air is kind of meaningless i I, that's why i asked because when's the last type of conflict that that has even occurred yeah in in iraqi freedom when that kicked off we had eagles with us you know the first nights of shock and on all that Mm -hmm. and by day four the eagles were grounded because they were using up gas and it was clear that iraq was going to launch any fighters it's it's not saying that it can't happen obviously yeah we dropped leaflets telling them to ground their fighters and we found their fighters buried because the translation didn't work. They buried their fighters? Literally put them under the dirt. You can Google it and find it. And they listen. Oh, wow. We're, we're digging. Okay, I mean, we're digging if I'm a small country, I don't care where I am, <laughs> in a country such as ours with the military that we have, I'd be like, yeah, I'll bury it. What do you want me to do? Yeah, sure. I'd rather not die tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Um, right here, good? Yeah. But yeah, it's air to ground, but it's it's very different air to ground. from It's its own breed of air to ground over there. It's its own thing. And it's changes um, depending on which exact theater you're in mm-hmm. and the exact ROE. Sure. A lot of what you do over there has a lot more to do with uh, following the rules. Each theater has a little different mm-hmm. And I joke about it, but it's not a joke. The, the more press that's on the ground, the more rules there are. Of course. Um, like in Afghanistan, there's a, a ton of rules because there's a lot of eyes on everything. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas when we were rolling into Syria, it was the wild, wild west. Hmm. I mean, which is how it needs to be to be effective. So, I mean, yeah, it, you, you use that slang term, but it's just how, yeah, it's it was, to be. it's how it's supposed to be. Yeah. So. It, it was, there were things going on that we all just kind of went, we're, we're doing, we're doing this. 
This is All happening. right. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> um, we're at, you know, in Afghanistan. I mean, we had most of my time in Afghanistan was in the MQ-9 in uh, unmanned. Yeah. And I mean, we had shots that we were taking that we were pretty sure that either the president or one of his representatives was, was watching. Sure. Wow. I never took one of those, but I mean, our yeah. squadron. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where, yeah. I mean, there's that level of scrutiny. Of that many people watching and talking and making sure that it was all okay. Yeah. Whereas, you know, in Syria, we'd have a bomber come in, take down a building, and then it would be, if anything moves out of that building, you shoot it. Damn. Okay. It's just a different... <laughs> you got it. Yeah, yeah. Courtney, my wife, brought up a good question last night. Um, and take it back to fatherhood. What was it like being a dad and then being deployed through the whole cycle of all your kids? So, yeah. the um, So, I... My first big... Depl- so, I left... I left my wife. Yep. Um, right out of pilot training, you know, pilot training and you get through F-16 training and all that. Went immediately to Korea okay. for a volunteer to extend there to get an upgrade done. And she came to visit for part of the end of that, which made it way more bearable. When I extended, I didn't know what, I was very fired up about that. What that meant? Yeah. Then I hit the one year point and. Why did I do this? Yeah, I was like, just get hit with a baseball bat in the <laughs> face. Well, how was, how long was the extension? How long were you there? Uh, ended up being. You know, it was supposed to be a year. I ended up only 16 months. It was supposed to be an 18-month extension, but okay. we, we massaged it a little bit for when Conceived. they wanted me at the next place. Your first job. Congratulations. <clears throat> well, thank you. It was a good job on me. Yeah. Um, Excellent work. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and while I was there, uh, you know, made Andy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she came out and visited. But, you know, we were gone for – we were apart for almost a year there. And that was pretty hard. Yeah. Uh, we say we barely made it through that. Yep. Um, and we were together in Misawa and Japan, everybody. Yep. Misawa, Japan. Sorry. No worries. Um, by the way, best skiing assignment you can have in the air force. I agree. hundred percent. Write that down guys. And gals. It is Rocky mountain or better level skiing mm-hmm. and it's way more snow. Tenth of the price of here. Let's go. Um, it's, it's world-class. The best I work for skiing in the world. I work for a language company. Yeah. I have plenty of people that can speak Japanese. Let's go. Um, you don't need to speak Japanese. We don't even need to speak Japanese. Let's go. I went, don't. I flew the Japanese over. Japanese people are the greatest, so nice, yes. wonderful people. Let's go. Did you ride the bullet train? Oh, yeah. That's fun, wasn't it? Yeah, ride the bullet train. For, yeah, if you pop, so you get off the plane in uh, Narita, you take a normal train over to Tokyo Station, and Tokyo Station is a little overwhelming yeah. the first time you're there. Um, <laughs> but as an American, if you pause more than a second like looking at your ticket obviously trying to figure out where you go someone will show up it could be a random other person yeah or it could be a white glove like customer service dude. in japan is insane they but take it to a we've had it level. like just a random dude who wanted to practice his english yeah they do shows up it. and is like where are you going how can i help you walk you to your platform get you there fantastic they're super super yeah. nice get on the bullet train make sure you're in the right car because halfway up to misawa Bullet train splits. Half of it goes to the west coast. Oh, I did that. Half goes up to. I did that in England for where you're going. I did that. So as long as you're in the right car, it'll all work out. But there's always a nervous (laughs) moment when you're doing that split of doing the right thing, aren't I? Hopefully, we're good. We're good. Okay, cool. Um, Great skiing up there. So anyway, um, Andy was six, seven months old when I left to the desert. Um, Your first deployment was to where? Uh, to Prince Sultan Air Base, Peace Saudi Arabia, Arabia, which they've opened back up, evidently. Interesting. Really nice dorms bu- built by Bin Laden Construction. Huh. Um, 
That was dad. Yeah. And his company. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, really nice uh, facilities there, actually. But, you know, Andy was six months old. He was just barely crawling when I left. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a, I got there the day before Thanksgiving. And then I didn't get back until, it was like a week or so into May. Okay. And he was walking. Mm-hmm. Damn. Uh, Did you and Jen get to speak? I was going to say, are there checkpoints in that time? So throughout that time, there was one phone in our dorm. This was calling card days, I mean. Well, th- that was one nice thing about that we lived in Misawa, um, Japan is we lived on base yeah, DSM. and our base, our home phones were technically DSM. Oh, what? so, which is the military phone network. Okay. So we could call direct there without there being an issue, but they still would cut us off and there was one phone for each of us. Yeah. So at best I got to talk to her once a week. Damn. At best. With a brand new kid. Uh, that is rough. And, and we're talking dial up modem times. So her sending me a video was, do it but it's a big deal yeah um the i mean it was way better in korea when i was in korea as far as phone calls go back to the states once a week was ambitious really if it was a holiday you couldn't get through no the only wow. time i could i mean out of my room you couldn't get a line out wow um and it was dial-up modem you know you just didn't talk to it whereas now i talk to people that go over there and you know they go over there and they you know bring an xbox with a camera and they skype with their yeah, you can do it all the time now. Family, Technology every morning and every night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and it's just the opposite. You know, every night they're watching. You know, talking to their kids as they're getting mm-hmm. ready for school, and you know, when they yeah, yeah. you missed it by like because you're yeah, you're six year, to nine years. Yeah, yeah, you missed it by like six. I was gonna say my brother's five years older than me, so you're six older, six years older than I am, and and broadband really came to play my freshman year, which would have been in two thousand. That was like your first official like. Hmm. I felt like at least that word was broadband is broadband. <laughs> oh yeah, we had you know we had DSL. we had DSL, DSL. <laughs> in Misawa, and that was exciting to have a DSL. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that you know I got back from the desert. Obviously, I I only got to talk to Andy once. I mean, you know, put a as much as put a nine month old on the phone. How's yeah, that gonna work yeah, out? of course. We did the we knew it. The wives didn't know it, but we knew it was a week before. The war was going to kick off. Yeah. And uh, we, so they scheduled us all to go to the, you know, VTCs were a big, very few and far between. So the base commander scheduled out some time for us to be in his office. And the base commander at Misawa did the same thing. So our wives would rotate through. Okay. And so I got to, you know, see and talk to Andy mm-hmm. during that time. And he's just crawling around the table. Mm-hmm. He didn't really care about talking to the guy with the... <laughs> Crazy porn mustache on the other end of the yeah, BTC. Yeah. Oh, nice. yeah, it's bulletproof. Actually, our commander, we had one guy shaved his mustache for the BTC, and our commander literally said, you are grounded until it's gone. <laughs> that is your bulletproof mustache. I have to join right. my November. Serious shit. Um, I'm have to join my November team. But then we, uh, then I got home, and yeah, he was scared of me. Yeah, he didn't know who, he he knew who the hell I was. Yeah. You know, so I'd play with him a bunch, and he's like, okay, I think this guy's okay. Mm-hmm. And he was trepidatious. He was kind of okay with me. And then about a month after I got home, we, I had to go TDY again. Wow. Uh, so, but I got as- to bring them with me because we worked it out so they flew on the Freedom Bird at the same time okay. I flew back. Okay. Uh, and because we lived in Seattle, you know, family lived in Seattle, so mm-hmm. the Masawa 
Freedom Bird, the contract military flight, mm-hmm. left from Misawa straight to Seattle, so it was really easy just to jump back. Um, Were they flying the World Air yeah, from Misawa? Which is awesome. It's great. It's how I flew to Osan. Um, and uh, there are all these airlines that you've never heard of. That doesn't surprise me <laughs> at all. They all contract through DOD. And yeah, it doesn't surprise suck. me at all. <laughs> like the worst, oldest piece of crap planes you've yeah. ever seen. My dad worked for the government for 42 years, I know. And uh, <laughs> so we're flying back and, you know, Jen had to go to the bathroom and Andy freaks out. You know? Right. Um, He's never been away from her for oh, yeah. two seconds, and, you know. And, and that was rough, you know. Um, we got to Germany, or, you know, and the Mace was born. I didn't deploy while he was gone. And then most of my deployments and stuff after that were shorter. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a, you know, seven month or whatever. So, and just at a time in his age where it was rough for him. But um, the other kids, it was all shorter stuff. Um, definitely in Florida, um, I was gone a lot, at least a week a month. At least. At a least. Week every month. Yeah. Um, just um, all stateside. For the most part, yeah. There's yeah. a onesie twosie overseas, but yeah. for the most part, stateside. So as far as perspective for everybody listening, your first deployment when you're in Misawa, okay, you're already overseas. Your wife and your child are on an island, literally. Yeah. Um, and you have no outside help, right? So you're deployed. Who oh, does yeah. Who does mom go to as her, her that, place? That's where solace? your squadron family comes in. And I, mean, and I hope that that was oh, we had know, a strong unit. Amazing you know what I mean? squadron. That's, that's oh, everything. Left. Um, like our, our group commander, our operations group commander, uh, great guy. Um, the night Iraqi freedom kicked off, mm-hmm. he brought all the wives to his house. They didn't know why. It's just, Hey, let's have all the wives over for yeah. dinner. Um, except for like two of the wives that were act one that was act, uh, she was actually, she was the wing commander's exec and another one was a pilot in the other squadron. Oh shit. Okay. So they absolutely a hundred percent knew yeah. what was happening that night, but mm-hmm. At the time, was classified. They weren't allowed to say anything. Yep. But all the wives show up to the group commander's office. They have dinner, and then he said, "Okay, this is about to happen." You know, he told them before it happened, which he's not supposed to do, but he did. Mm-hmm. You know, they so you can stay here and sit and watch it. You know, I understand you want to go back to your house. Mm-hmm. So they all sat and watched it uh, all together. Uh, was a pretty cool. That's uh, great in in that environment, but if you can imagine being at least. In the States, it's a lot more access to help, I would assume. Family can be more readily available. If you're in Misawa, Japan, that's a tough one to squeak out. It's a yes and no. Because our, our squadron family was so tight in Misawa mm-hmm. that I think if you asked Jen, she would take that over our actual family. I'm not surprised in, to hear In that, that scenario, because yeah. our actual family doesn't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't understand, you know, choosing to... If my family, if you ask my family, well, what should Mike do if, because I, I, you know, you never take the whole squadron. There's always a few people that are left behind. Mm-hmm. And if my, my actual family said, you know, do you understand why he, he went and didn't find a way to opt out of going? Yeah. To be like, no, why did he go? Mm. Whereas obviously my, you know, squadron family is, well, yeah. 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 Of course. Um, so speaking of family, we got a little synopsis of, I know you're from Washington. Where did you go to high school? What town? Was Monroe, you Washington. Which is where? Home of the Bearcat. <laughs> uh, so proud still it's to about, stay. Bearcats. It's about 45 minutes northeast of Seattle, about a half hour east of Everett. Okay. And is um, your whole it's on highway extended two. family it's all true. still there? 
Uh, no, no. Uh, my I my brother is relatively downtown Seattle. Okay. Um, my mom lives up in Edmond, which is uh, about twenty minutes north of Seattle. Okay. Well, twenty minutes if there's no traffic. So normally about two hours. Nice, from Seattle. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's great there. Um, my wife and I always say we would love to move back to Seattle. If it was 1993 Seattle. Yeah. It's a different place. Yeah, it's a very different place. Now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just on the foothills of the Cascades there. And nice. We were about half hour from Stevens Pass. Okay. Grew up skiing? No. No? Never skied until college. Oh, nice. That's cool. Um, so, wrapping it up. Um, what else? Mike, the pilot. Mike, the dad. Mike, the officer. I guess my, my last question to you would be, coming straight into the officer's, um, I guess, environment. A lot of young guys that age are not ready for that level of leadership. How do you think you were prepared and were you at all apprehensive for that? Oh, I wasn't prepared. I sucked. I wasn't good at that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I was not good at that. No, no, I wasn't. It's such a huge thing. It was very good that I was was in the fighter pilot world. As a fighter pilot, you don't have to lead young people or enlisted. You for don't a long ever. Time. It's not till no for quite a while. For quite a while. Um, so just because you're flying with other officers. Yeah, you're so entrenched in what you're doing that yeah. you don't have time to do any of the other stuff. So it wasn't until I was a senior captain and stuff that I started working with other agencies and dealing with other uh, groups. And I had a lot of growing up real fast. Yeah, um, I had a couple of uh, really good um, you know, mid-level leaders or supervisors directly over me that you know didn't crush me when I did stuff stupid and yeah. basically just put their arm around me and the one guy said, you can attract a lot more bees honey than vinegar. It's nice to have so those leaders yeah, that, you, that, that left an impression on you. you how know could I mean? you have done this? How could we have done this? Because I, I disagree with nothing you meant in this email, but how could we have done this <laughs> in a way that's going to bring them along and not just kick them in the jaw? That's amazing. Um, and yeah, I wasn't ready to be I, I was too much piss and vinegar and a lot of thrust, not a lot of vector <laughs> as a young guy. Um, Pilot perfect. lingo. It's perfect. Just yeah, just pure speed. No direction. Yep. No direction. Yeah. Um, I, but I once <laughs> I recognized that, um, I'll throw in the my the best leadership book that I ever read, um, which I'll go ahead and say right now. 90-something percent of the military leadership books mm-hmm. are boring as hell, and they suck. Don't read them. It's boring. There's no, They're so dry. And It's like reading manuals. And truthfully, if you were trying to get something out of it that worked for that person with their relationship with their people in that situation, sure, they're not usually meaningful to normal. Um, uh, if the best leadership book, in my opinion, is actually... actually the title would you get it right i always get it i always get it close but i have I, a guess i want to see if what, what's I'm your right. guess about face no no okay calvin and Hobbes go to the zoo <laughs> <laughs> no? no no close damn I'll, i'm getting the, i'm getting the exact the exact a lot of pressure um, right now it is a lot of uh, pressure. seven principles for making marriage work oh. by john gottman by go. making marriage work you use that as a leadership yeah, manual. The the majority of the principles and everything about it is about um, communication and empathy. That's pretty much. It is about understanding learn, how to lead. 
learning how to communicate and learning how to see the situation from the other person's perspective. Boom. Empathy. And obviously that book is written from a marriage perspective. Uh, John Gottman's like the leading marriage therapist. John Gottman. Expert Everybody, we're out learning there. shit. Also, University of Washington. Oh, um, oh, oh, <laughs> right there. Jeez. That's just coincidence. Good um, lord. And my wife's a therapist, and she's <laughs> t- taking training from him. But anyway, um, no personal relationship. Nothing. No, it's no, fine. I just no, want to plug his stuff, and he's, he's awesome. Like, I have Christmas with him every year. No kidding. He's like world famous. <laughs> um, but if you want to, so what? What I'll always say when people question that is, let's say a marriage and family is the most difficult leadership problem you can find because there's so much emotion and you don't get time away from, you don't get to just go home from work. Mm -mm. Yeah. Even when you're at work, those things are still there. It's, you know, and you're not going to change jobs ever. Mm -mm. You know, there's, you know, it's it's always there. So there's so, so much about, Marriage and family is is it is a leadership problem. It is or not a problem. Oh, when I say problem, I mean no. I know like what you mean. I know what you mean. Question. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a challenge. It's challenge. a leadership challenge. Um, and uh, it, it's a great book to learn about that. And I learned so much about how I communicate and how I deal with uh, people. Read. I think there's more to be found from that than finding out how Patton yelled at people <laughs> and did yeah. World War II yeah. strategy in a yeah. tank. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. No, no, no that, I think that's one of the first awesome. times I've heard that, um, that angle on a leadership situation. That's or awesome. This marriage. That's awesome. That is time, my friend. We appreciate it. It really has been fun. Two episodes, um, to learn all about super interesting questions I've had. I know that Chris has definitely had some things on his mind as well, but I've dug in, man. So thanks for joining us. Yeah, dude. I appreciate it. Heck yeah. Hopefully you'll be a, a regular avid listener of the dad life podcast as is all of your extended friends and family. And that famous dude, get him on there. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I actually could talk to him. Damn it. <laughs> all right. Well, oh, well. <laughs> anything Anything else, right? No, I think, you know, we'll talk offline. My mom runs an Air Force charity that is near and dear to her heart, which I think you both will want to be involved in when COVID ends. I'll talk to you about that offline. Okay. It'll end to enough to where we can do events again, yes. Someday. Yeah, someday. Um, but anyway, no, I seriously appreciate you coming, and it's been really fascinating for me. I've always had a, a deep fascination with the military, um, and it's 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 always fun to learn learn things that you have no idea because obviously I didn't serve and had no idea about anything. So every time I talk to a vet, it's great. So appreciate it. Thanks, it's Mike. Been fun. Appreciate you, man. We appreciate you tuning into this extended episode. Absolutely. One of our longer ones. Hope you learned something. Hope you learned something new. Come back to us next time. Until then, stay positive. Love your life. Later. Later.